0: Today's episode of Down to Dunk is brought to you by Central Bank. Strong Roots, Endless Possibilities isn't just a statement. It is Central Bank's past and future. It is their successes and challenges. It is more than 110 years of service that spans across 140 plus locations. Strong Roots, Endless Possibilities. That means that they're here for you. Learn more at centralbank.net. Member FDIC. On today's episode of Down to Dunk, we discuss the call with the players that Adam Silver had on Friday and whether we are more optimistic about the season returning. We also rank the Thunder's young players from Shea Gilders-Alexander to Lou Dort to Baisley? Where do we put Dort? You got to find out on today's episode. I'm Deontay Burden. And I'm down to dunk. I'm Hamadou Diallo.
1: Hey, I'm Danilo Gallinari. I'm Chris Paul, and I'm down to dunk. I'm Luke Dort, and I'm down to Dort.
0: What's Dort? I, I'm not going to lie. I don't know what that was. In English, bro. I'm Darius Baisley, and I'm down to dunk. I'm Gildas Alexander. I'm Steven Adams. I'm Andre Robertson, and I'm down to dunk. Yeah. On you. Welcome to Down to Dunk. I'm your host, Andrew Schleck. We are part of the Athletic Podcast Network. With me today is my good friend, Michele Berra. Michele, what's up?
1: Well, um, things are starting to be back to normal. I would say go back to normal a little bit here in Italy. My first day in the office. Um, things are extremely weird, as I expected. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, life is going slowly back to some sort of normality. Not full normality, but mm-hmm. that is... That is probably uh, a long way ahead
0: yeah yeah i I feel like there there's that effort in the u.s as well trying to get back to normal but it definitely doesn't feel normal (laughs) and it feels uh awkward and dangerous in some ways as well which is just it's yeah it's a tough it's just a tough environment i don't and i'm i can't sit here and say i know what the right answers are but i I will digress <laughs> from there. Uh, let's talk about the NBA. The NBA uh, had a call with their players on Friday. Adam Silver addressed the players about the potential of returning this season and playing again. and if you know if you've read the news already, if you've gone to theathletic.com and read Sham article about it, I, I think you have to feel a little bit better about the situation. Yeah, Uh, than before. And so there certainly will not be fans. I think that that's been assumed for a long time, but there will not be fans for this season and potentially a majority of next season. Uh, They said there will be no fans uh, until there is a vaccine, uh, which, yeah, I mean, we could have an entire season, a full season without fans. I think everybody anticipated no fans for this season, but, uh, that will be strange, but I th- I think we can get through that. Uh, 40% of the league's revenue comes from fans, which when you talk about the salary cap, when you talk about BRI, it's, uh, that's a little bit scary to see what would yeah. happen with the league. But I, I think that you obviously are, st- you'd still go ahead and play and then just hope <clears throat> that within the next two and a half-ish years, that things will get back to normal business-wise. Uh, but again, we we don't really know. This is a, a whole new world we're stepping into.
1: Uh, the- yeah, and this also uh, – sorry for interrupting you. This also gives the MBA and everyone basically an opportunity to revisit uh, how can you make money or like how can you – Add to fans in a different way. I mean, the NBA has a lot of tools. The league pass is one of them. Um, like live games on cable TV or whatever is another. But there are different ways to to feel like to allow the fans to be more engaged. Because like a normal game, uh, it's probably not enough. It's not close to being in the arena. But maybe mm-hmm. this time will give the NBA uh, a chance to to do stuff in a different way i mean uh if it's vr if it's camera angle if it's personalized view i don't know but uh, there are ways in which the nba can go to recoup part of those uh for of that 40% mm-hmm. uh not everything probably because that's uh, that is not going to happen but there will be an appetite for live sport that is not comparable to what it was before i mean uh suppose that tomorrow the nba says well forget about league pass you you have uh, a new way to access games that it that it costs 30 euros, 30 per game i'm i'm not sure that no one will buy it there 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 would be such an appetite for playoff games that you can probably uh recoup some money um by i don't know doing
0: stuff in a different way mhm yeah they're going to have to get creative yeah and uh adam silvers you know, shown a willingness to, to be creative and to do things that are off the wall. And so, you know, I look forward to seeing what he what he does. And I, I know these, these decisions are incredibly difficult. And he even said these may be the most difficult decisions they make in their life, you know. But uh, I, I look forward to seeing what his leadership is through this because I, I think he's done a good job thus far. Uh, so the decision can be pushed back to June you know mm-hmm. into june which is only 3 weeks away which seems bizarre but yeah uh, <laughs> i i think that's a that's a good thing that's a good sign they, they may be using multiple bubble scenarios he talked about not only he said one area is safer or two is also acceptable so you may see you know eastern and eastern and western conference play you know, Las Western Conference, Las Vegas, Eastern Conference in Walt Disney World, and then maybe they play the finals in Walt Disney World. Uh, something like that, uh, where you have just smaller groups in two separate areas. Uh, you know, I, th- I think that, that is certainly something that's possible. Uh, it's not mm-hmm. necessarily an either-or. I think they would ideally like to have everybody in one location, but it may be easier to pull off so- a scenario like that. Uh, so... Uh, To me, I just, and the thing that really makes me think, okay, this can actually happen is the the first word that we got, at least was reported and researched, was that the league would need testing available for the entire country in order to start up again, which felt like a daunting task. I mean, millions of tests per day. And that just felt like, oh boy. We're a long ways away from something like that. But they've changed that to enough tests for frontline workers, which is a completely different scenario, different conversation, and makes it seem like, okay, I I think we can get there. Because they've determined there was enough in Los Angeles and in Orlando uh, for them to go back to practicing, even though it's the... Um <clears throat> the state's rules indicate that it's, you know, not time to do that yet. The the NBA says it's okay. And so to me, it feels like the NBA's ownership, you know, the owners of the teams want this to happen. Yeah. And I think that, badly. And I think that Adam Silver, we have to remember, Adam Silver works for them. <laughs> that's that's how this works. Yeah. If you remember CBA uh, negotiations, it's Adam, so it's whoever the commissioner is in the ownership group and the players and their representative. And this will have to be collectively bargained. This won't be just something that they say you have to do this. But if you have one side that strongly wants something, and I think there's a lot of players that want to get back to it, too. I think that they'll they'll get to it. And I think that we'll hear in the next three weeks, you know, when and where and if they're going to play again yeah
1: and there will be i mean the testing part is very interesting because um, it would be great to have tests for everyone um, but it's not how other businesses that are in like for example like there are businesses that are uh, running again here in Italy, and you can say that there there are many that are more important than than the sport business uh, but to a certain degree though. There, are, it's just business, like outside the uh, healthcare and whatever other like real need of the population, sport is part of the business. And so why applying different rules to sport? I mean, it's uh, less, there are less people involved in professional sport in the NBA than probably in two regular companies uh, of like medium to big size. And so, why do you want to apply different rules for them? Um, so, to me, that, that makes sense. And there are other examples, like Bundesliga in Germany will restart, I think, in the next two, three weeks as well. They already said that they, they will start uh, playing again. And granted, Germany doesn't have the spreading of some certain cities in the US. They control the uh, the pandemic in a very good way early on. Um, but there's no guarantee that like having... Professional athletes going at each other in in soccer uh, will not lead to to new uh, to new cases. The the type of contact is actually the same in basketball. I mean, soccer is is a heavy contact sport, and so there is no real difference. I think that this will be a good example for the NBA, especially if they can go on for one or two weeks before the NBA makes a decision. It makes things more easy to understand because they will do two or three week uh, three times uh, a week a testing phase for players uh, i i read that and and so it, it is pretty similar to what the nba can do
0: yeah yeah i think that that those kind of things are crucial that if those things fail miserably i think that's a sign <laughs> that the nba may not come back but if yeah. they're able to play and successfully Carry out their league. I think that you can look at that as a positive indicator. So, uh, those are things to watch for certainly. And I, I think that the NBA and Adam Silver are watching for whoever it is, whatever example they can find during this time. I, I think yep. that I think that it's important. Uh, there will be a three to six week ramp up period, which is <laughs> three to six weeks. Is it's just funny that that's. It's a it's a long spread out amount of time, like three weeks, not too big, like six weeks to ramp up. Yeah, I don't see that. I to me that's that's what will be collect a thing that will be collectively bargained because I would guarantee you that owners are gonna say we're gonna give you guys three weeks. No, we need six. No, we need five. They'll probably land at four weeks. You know that's that's to me that's like that's. Just speaking to, okay, this is how far apart we are right now on the ramp-up period. Is between yeah, and, and probably,
1: yeah, probably, sorry for interrupting you, probably there will be also some money uh, negotiation in terms of cap, in terms of how uh, this will affect uh, player salary, because the other time, oh, yeah. the time that there was a problem like this, it was on the other direction. So it's giving my money now because there's more. When you're talking about a 40% cut, if you don't smooth, it means that player that go into free agency next year or the year after that will be in serious danger.
0: Yeah, no, that's that's an interesting point because it, it will be a huge factor in things moving forward. Uh, the business aspect will be changed dramatically. And mm-hmm. will it get back to normal? M- maybe, we just don't know and and so i th- i think that you have to start somewhere and i think that it it will look a lot different and the cap will look similar to what it did 3 or 4 years ago uh which is not exciting <laughs> to, to NBA teams and certainly teams that are going for the championship right now and for a team like OKC if if they could deal Chris Paul and they could get cap space somehow Cap space will be so incredibly valuable, you know, in a in a world like this, mm-hmm. where teams are going to maybe need to dump players in order to save money, because there's going to be some teams that are in trouble, you know, financially. Like the Houston Rockets. Like the Houston Rockets are going to be in trouble. <laughs> it's funny, Kevin O'Connor on his podcast last week. They were asking which teams are, will be in tank mode in the next, you know, two years. And he mentioned the rockets, which is just uh, good
1: like, luck with with
0: that. Yeah, which is wild. Yeah, I do not envy his his mentions at this point. But uh, that would be very exciting for Thunder fans and uh, the the draft picks that we have coming coming to the team. Uh, okay, so I wanted to talk about some of the young players, and this this all kind of came about because I saw Darius Baisley lifting weights on Instagram. <laughs> which <laughs> just very, it's silly. We're in muscle watch portion of, of everything right now. <clears throat> uh, but I, I wanted to take a look at maybe some of the, of the role players on this team and just get a feel for where, where we're at and what, what we think, and where we think some of these guys are headed. And, you know, there's not a ton of young guys on this team. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, but I just wanted to have a conversation with you about what what your, your thoughts are on these guys. And uh, there's obviously the players like Nader and Burton, who are have only been in the league for a couple of years, uh, but they're some of the older guys on the team. You know, they're mm-hmm. both the same age as Stephen Adams, <laughs> Deontay <laughs> Burton, and Apple Nader, which is pretty yeah, wild. They're older. It's, it's wild. Both older than Nerlens Noel.
1: By a couple of months if I they are nineteen ninety three, both? Or both nineteen ninety four, but older than, than than Noel. I don't remember that.
0: Yeah, ninety three ninety three for for Nader. I think that's, that's same, insane. Same for Deontay, I think. Hmm, I think he's one year younger. I, I
1: think I remember he's nineteen ninety four, but still uh older than Noel by a couple of months.
0: Yeah, ninety four, January <laughs> yeah. of ninety four.
1: Yeah, Nader being being nineteen ninety three is is bizarre. He's the same age as Schroeder, that is, or Schroeder, whatever. Uh it seems in the league I I don't know, ten years. Right. <laughs> and I know Nader is the same age.
0: It's 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 super weird. It is. But we can we can talk about them in the context of this just because they're new to the league, I guess. And I don't know. Yeah. This this year's was really odd and awesome in so many ways, and one of them was that I feel like Nader can be a role player in the league for a little while. I think Deontay, I, I think the opposite of Deontay Burton uh, at this point. I, but I yeah, I think that like, Nader can shoot it, thirty seven percent from three on the season, and he tries hard on defense. Does he always make the right choice? No. But that's a guy that can stick around for a little while. I wouldn't be surprised to see him stick around on the Thunder for a little while because you can always use shooting, and to me, that's it's a it's a very important thing that's not easy to find. And so, to me, he's a guy that can stay. I think Deontay probably won't, but I think you can throw Nader into this group of young players.
1: Yeah, I mean, the fact we. Made there,
0: and the season that he
1: had is is probably the best for OKC. Because on one hand, you you witness a season where he clearly improved um, from last year. Uh, he was better, more reliable, more consistent. But in this, at the same time, he wasn't a great player. And so it's not that in the offseason he can command a five to six million salary. Uh, We're not at that point, but maybe for a little bit more than a minimum, say a three year, seven million, uh, something like that, where you start at two and you probably end up closer to three. Um, I think it's a contract that makes sense because you pay like just above the minimum for a guy that knows the system, for a guy that is already in inside the locker room and it seems like an amenable presence. Uh it seems like a good guy. So you yeah. know that he will not create trouble even if he even if he plays, I don't know, every two or three games. So I think that for for Neither and for OKC this is the perfect scenario. I mean you you know that you can count on him to do certain things. You know that you cannot count on him to do to be like a lockdown defender. But you can count on the improvement that you saw over a year because uh the chance that Nader could could be a threat a real threat from the like off-screen scenarios uh, it was not clear to me last year and over this season you could see multiple occasions where Nader could curl curl uh, over a screen and, and nail like a jumper out of the uh, out of these uh motions and, and it's crucial and in, in a spot sub, spot up situation like with with no movement just sand seal is pretty reliable as well so you have a valuable three point shooter that that you can get for cheap for burden i mean last season was a very very good opportunity for him to to improve his stock and i don't think he did I actually think the opposite. I I you can argue that uh the starting point of the season, he was in a much, much better situation than where he was at the beginning of March.
0: Yeah. No, I, I think that's there's no question about that to me. That his part of what was great about him was defense, decision making, being able to kind of handle and then play multiple positions. And <clears throat> maybe it's some of its opportunity but i think that you you earn the opportunity that's in front of you it's not it's not like the competition was crazy on the wing for the thunder this year i don't know and so to me that it just speaks volumes that whoever's rising to the top it, it's not that it's not that high of a bar to get to and so whoever gets there you know it's i think that it's probably pretty clear who has earned those minutes so Obviously, Shea Gilders-Alexander is the top of this list of young players on this team. And there's nobody that really approaches Shea. I mean, the guy who was 19 points per game, three assists, six rebounds, 35% from three on three and a half attempts, 47% from, from the field. I mean, obviously, very, very, very good player. <laughs> and yeah, he's he's way better than I thought he would be heading into the season and watching him over the course of the 63 games that he played this year. Uh, it it makes me think that the Thunder do have their first star for the rebuild. Uh, that's, that's coming. Uh, any, any just quick thoughts on Shay and then we'll get into the, the mess of the rest of this.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I read the the article that Eric Eric Horn wrote uh, on the Athletic um, discussing Shea with a couple of scouts, and and it's still crazy to think that he ended up being the the leading scorer of the team uh, in terms of you know, per game average, um, because I mean if you if you said me that at the beginning of the season I wouldn't believe that that could be possible with Gallo, with Schroeder, with, with CP3. And that speaks highly of him because he was not like taking any shot and just getting, getting up like crazy bad shots. He was doing it in a winning environment, in a sustainable way, because like as the season went on, he improved his free throw rate. I remember us discussing the first 10 game. Well, if he really wants to be good, he has to take more uh free throws and by the end of the season he increased that to a I would say a good degree. Uh the next step would be taking more three-point jumpers, uh, especially from the dribble whenever he can take them. Uh but still we are talking about a 20 point um player in in a winning environment. It it's it's not something common for a, second, for a, a guy in year two. Um, you, have, you have a draft, the, the, the shade draft, where you have Luka Doncic, you have Trey Young, and you can see that those are clearly uh, ahead of the curve. But this doesn't mean that you don't have a star in Shea Gilgis and Alexander And there is an, another level. In which he can go both offensively and defensively because he f- if he can find a way to make uh, his three point shot from the triple reliable and frequent uh, in in a game say i don't know three four pull-ups a game and on the other end if he improves on defense and shows consistency because we have seen him play very good defense in spurts if those two things become the norm and not just um like spikes uh, in his in his development then you're talking about a sure thing all-star and, and maybe not like the first guy on a title team but i would not exclude that i would not rule out that because if you compare like Harden season for example uh the his second season in the league or other players like hawaii leonard are those were those seasons better than the one that Shea already had? I am not sure. I mean, you you can find players that in year two were below the level that Shea is, and they end up being probably number one guys in their teams.
0: Yeah, and you know you mentioned Luca and Trey Young. There's a lot of people that would take Shea over Trey Young. I'm not. I don't know if I'm one of those people. But there's a lot of people that would. And it's yeah. because of the defense. It's, you know, he's really the only guy on that team that's going to handle the ball and score. There's, they really don't have anybody else that's reliable. And so the mm-hmm. numbers that he gets I mean, you give Shea, I mean, Shea takes 14 shots a game. You give Shea 24 yeah. shots a game. What's he going to do? Where are his numbers at? If you say, Shay, you have to take twenty-four shots a game.
1: You That's know, probably close to 28, 29 points per game.
0: Yeah. I mean what's the
1: Especially com- with spacing.
0: Yeah, I mean the conversation's very different, right? Yeah. Uh so it's 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 just interesting. The NBA is is just interesting in so many ways because the truth is that somebody has to score the points. There's never been yeah. uh, Royce Young made this point years ago to me, and I, I just thought it was very smart and very funny. Somebody has to score the points. Nobody ever averaged twenty-five points per game as a team. You know, you're always yeah. gonna get to around a hundred. And somebody's gotta somebody has to score them. Whether it's efficient or it, it and that makes it confusing. And you know, you get teams like the Process Sixers, there's tons of guys that weren't very good that played for them, but people thought that some of those guys were good because they were scoring points. But all these guys are yeah. pros. These are the four hundred best Players in the world, somebody's going to be able to score, but it doesn't mean that they're necessarily a high level NBA player. And I'm not saying that Trey Young is not a high level NBA player. I think he is. Oh, he is. But oh, yes, but I think that there, are, and the reason why people, a lot of people land on the the fact that they would rather have Shea than Trey Young is just because that volume doesn't necessarily indicate that he's going to be that he's a lot better than Shea because Shea doesn't have the the counting stats that Trey does. But I think that his yeah, ceiling has why, a lot to do with his size, too. His size and yeah. ability to defend.
1: Yeah, it's not why I have Trey a little bit higher. Uh, and still, as of today, but we already discussed that. The, the creation ability, the, the threat from basically everywhere on the court are real stuff. Uh, and again, if next season or Whenever um, basketball restarts, Shea shows up with a 35% pull-up jumper that takes three or four times a game and plays remarkable defense, I'm willing to say, well, maybe maybe I'm not so sure about taking Young before him. Luca is another story. He's leading a team, a winning team, um, by really leading it. Mm. Shea was the best scorer on the team, but not the leader. Probably in very few uh, times during the during the season, I felt like, well, right now, this is Shea's team. Mm. And it was probably um, the biggest one was against Toronto, you know, in Toronto. That time I said, well, he's leading the team right now. Yeah. And there were a few other games. But the majority of the time, it's not him. It, it was Chris, and it was Dennis, and then him. Yeah. So... We are talking about two guys, uh, Trey and Luca, that are really leading their teams, and, and this is something that Shea needs to be better at. Uh, and probably he just have to have a chance because with Chris Paul on your team and with Dennis Schroder on your team, and even with Danilo Gallinari on your team, you will not be the number one in, in packing order, and probably not even number two. Mm-hmm. And still, with that made probably clear by the veterans at the beginning of the season, he was still able to be one of the best players
0: mm-hmm.
1: and putting up huge numbers in an efficient way and this is this speaks very, very highly
0: about about Shay. Yeah. Yeah, there's no doubt. Uh, okay, next player. So the group is small. You think about the Thunder as a quasi rebuilding team. Uh, they've got a long way to go because I think there's really only four guys left in this group, right? It's mm-hmm. Darius Baisley, Lou Dort, Hami, Ferg, and that's those are basically the guys that we're ranking. We discussed Nader. If you want to throw Nader in there, fine by me. But he is he is seven years older than Darius Baisley. so I don't. Nader is in his prime. He is. Let's is face his that this is prime Nader. Uh, but who's so? We have Shay at the top. So who's next? And we there's so many ways to approach this as far as future development, how good they are today, how important they are to the Thunder moving forward. Uh, but I think you can kind of package all those things together and say who the next guy is. Who's the next guy for you?
1: Oh, to me, it's clearly and without a doubt, there is basically. And it's to me, it's not even close to the others. I would put him in a tier by himself as of today.
0: Yeah, I mean, I that it makes sense. It makes sense. I don't think it's crazy to consider Lou Dort here. Uh, no, uh, it's
1: not crazy, but it's it's back to the to the debate. Do you want? ceiling or do you want floor I do think that Dort has defensive tools that allow will allow him to to stick in the league for a while but I don't see a way in which Lou Dort becomes a star like yeah. star star
0: yeah
1: I see basically becomes becomes becoming a star mm-hmm. um while you, you suggested me uh when you suggested me that we would discuss today young players and blah blah, blah I thought about the following question uh, uh, for you but, like after Thomas year one
0: mm-hmm.
1: how like what's what, what was the percentage on, on your mind of him being an all-star by the end of his rookie deal
0: yeah it's low you know I mean how low how low ten, like five percent yeah is this very different from basically Huh. <clears throat> I think it's different for a couple of reasons. I think that like how
1: much different
0: would you put it at two, three,
1: or like no chance, zero point, blah blah blah.
0: Yeah, probably still like the f- between two and five percent that he ever becomes an all star. Well, I mean, yeah, it is. It this it's, is it's, not like
1: an, a different order of magnitude. Is yeah, maybe a little bit un like it's it's not as like as uh, likely as as Thomas uh because Thomas had the pedigree he had a full well two full uh season uh, in Gonzaga where he showed a lot whereas you don't have data on basically um but the reason why I made that that question was um based on, on the following idea when you are a rookie there is one thing that is very hard to do and it's being Not horrible on offense in terms of where you put yourself and uh, if you are deterrent for the offense and playing smart defense. And we have seen a lot of games where Paisley was effective on offense and many where it was probably a deterrent, but very few where it was bad defensively. He was very good, very good instinct, very good understanding of the game and his positioning Mm -hmm. And so these are the things that are very hard to do, especially for a lanky kid who has doesn't have the body to sustain uh, like contacts down down low. Like Lou Dort is a tank and that allow him allows him to be very, very physical basically doesn't have that. And yet he was able to be a plus, a clear plus by every uh, statistical measure that you want to. Uh, to take into consideration. On offense, he was a huge negative. Uh, but we have seen the the spikes. Like, there is a chance that Darius basically in the future hits 35-36% of his threes while being a threat off the dribble.
0: Mm-hmm. We
1: saw glimpses of that. And so this is where I base my, my difference between Ludoort. Because even if Ludoort becomes a 36% three-point shooter, I don't think he will ever be a star. Because, like, being 6'3", uh, not being exceptionally gifted in terms of athleticism, he is not the guy that places his head above the rim while he's dunking. Um, I think there is a definite ceiling on him. It could be a very, very good role player, very good, especially if he's like north of 35% from three, which I think it's extremely unlikely. For Baisley, if you have a 6'10 guy who knows how to play defense and knows how to put the ball uh, on the floor, plus, um, like he's rel- if he's going to be reliable from three, and I know there is a lot of ifs. That is an all-star.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean that's that's the Pascal Siakam mold, right? It's like exactly. It's the archetype of the player that is okay. I can see it. He's a a power forward that can handle, that can rebound and go, that can you know, spot up, that can shoot off the dribble, all these things. It's really, really hard to get to that level, and it will take a tremendous amount of work. And you know, one one difference between he and Domas is that on this team, he was Darius was playing the position he's gonna play. And with the team that Domas was on, he couldn't play the position he was supposed to play. And the Thunder knew it. Everybody dogs the Thunder for it, but the truth is, the Thunder just wanted to play him. They just said, We just need to, this guy just needs to play. You already had Steven Adams and Ennis Canner on the team. You, you, he either is your third string center or he's your power forward, right? And so I know people act like the Thunder screwed up that year, but I think they just gave him good experience uh, is what they did. And, I don't think that they were under the assumption that he was going to be a stretch big. I think that they were going to try to give him the opportunity to because you're not going to play two bigs that are going to stay in the paint the whole time. And know. Cantor and Adams had already established themselves as very good pros. And that's, that's the context that gets lost <laughs> with, with Domas in his first year is that, oh, the Thunder really screwed this up. Well, go, go take a look. They, he wasn't going to play at all. Otherwise, and so, to me, I'm I'm not. I, I don't I don't like that comp necessarily, just because we knew that he wasn't playing the correct position, and it wasn't productive because of that. Baisley is playing the position that he's going to play. He is a he's younger than than Domas was, and he's less experienced, yeah. like you said. And I agree. He's he's definitely number two for me as well. Just because of the player that he could be. And he, I, I didn't expect, did you expect him to play this year when they drafted him? It's like, oh, that's the New Balance kid? Like, nope, nope, that, uh, he's not no, going to play. <laughs> that guy's not going to play. Are you kidding me? No, he played. Yeah, he played 17 minutes a game. And he yep. started eight games for the Thunder in which they played very well with him as the starter. And yep. they, they, they missed him when he was out. Oh yeah, without a doubt. Yes, that is that is right. That's why I mean I, I'm a little bit
1: more bullish on him um, than Dort. Well, a lot more bullish uh, because if you ask me if uh, ask me to bet on Dort being a good role player on Basley being an all star, I would surely bet on Dort. Yeah, because it's the safest bet. Uh, but there's no way uh, if I have to rank them and if I have to to. Um, to take one of the two for the future. I'm sorry, Lou, because I, I really like the guy. And I, I, I think that he will be extremely helpful to any team. Uh, but I would take my chances with,
0: with basically. Yeah. Like, every day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. But I would put Dort above everyone else. <laughs> I would, too. That's where I'm going next is Lou Dort. Uh, you know, some of it is that he shot seventy, almost 78% from the free throw line. This this season on not a crazy number of attempts, but he did shoot, you know, 17 more threes than Terrence Ferguson, (laughs) which is wild. And Ferguson almost played double the minutes and they shot the same percentage from the free throw line. And Dort shot 30 percent from three, which honestly could be a miracle. I mean, that could be yeah. one of the miracles that happened this year with the Thunder, is that he shot 30% from three. Because if you watch him in college, you thought, oh, boy. Like, this is a guy that's going to come to the league and shoot 25% from three, and his coach won't let him shoot him.
1: When lucky, 25%. Yeah.
0: Well, he took them. He took 73 threes in the 29 games yeah. that he played, which is ex- two and a half threes per game. It's, that's great. Good. That's a good start, and if he can bump that up to thirty three percent, then you have a real player. That's a real live NBA role player that will make ten plus million dollars on a contract someday. Yeah, you know that's that's the kind of guy that's accurate. That's the kind of guy everybody's looking for. I have doubts whether he can actually do that, but I I like his confidence, and I hope that it stays because there is. That can wax and wane throughout an NBA career. We've seen it with Terrence Ferguson, where his first year you're like, oh, this guy's this guy knows how to play, and he's not scared of yeah. anything. This is great. And then you get to year three for him, and it's like, oh, no. And he's he obviously has a ton of personal issues that he's dealing with that compound yeah. all these on-the-court issues, so it's hard to parse out what is what. And I would assume that most of those personal issues are playing into how he's done this year. But still, if he can keep that confidence, because he, in the open court, Lou Dort's a weapon. On the break, yeah. he's a weapon. He's got that skill. He's, he's got two NBA skills already. One, defense. He's a really, really solid defender already. And that in itself can get you on the court. It, can't, it doesn't necessarily keep you on the court, because you have to be able to score. You have to be able to shoot at some. If you can't shoot it, <clears throat> and you're just a role player, you're just – it's it's really, really hard to make it in the NBA. It's yeah. really, really hard. But he can already be effective on the fast break. And he can he can handle. He's not he's not a guy, he's not Terrence Ferguson. Or
1: under Robertson. Or he under is Robertson. different.
0: Yeah. Or Tabo Sofalosha even. He can put the ball yeah. on the floor. He thinks of himself as a point guard. Go back and listen to the podcast I did with him when he was still playing for the G League. He thinks of himself as a point guard, which he'll never ever be an NBA point guard. But if he at least thinks of himself as a guy that can put the ball on the floor, I think that's that's a good thing. And he does have that skill. Like that that exists within him where he can attack a closeout, he can lead a break, he can you know, make decisions um all in small bites, but still it's there. Yeah. And so, to me, but you trust him to do so. I mean, yeah. if he if he's open on the
1: break, you don't say, "Well, stop, please, stop." Like pass to someone right. else. It, no, yeah. go. Yeah. I mean, it's you can trust him, and even you can trust him to run a pick and roll. Like uh, he will not shoot it from, from from that setting, but but maybe he can like move the ball by doing like two three dribbles and and make the right decision. This is actually helpful to an NBA offense, mm-hmm. uh, especially if like. I, I, this is not a, uh, by any means a comparison, but we all know that Draymond Green is a sub 30% three point shooter. He had like a few good seasons. But if you look at the like career, we are talking about a 28, 33, 34% three point shooter. The point was his physicality, his difference and his ability to never, never make. Uh, the wrong choice on court of court. Mm -hmm. Well, um, but on the court, (laughs) he was able to make the right pass the right decision every single time. Uh, I'm not saying that Dort is at that level. But if you have if you have a guy that can dribble and can make the right decision, the right decision, as soon as the ball touches his hands, you have something that can play in a sophisticated offense, especially if the other four guys are good, good enough shooter. Now, if Steven Adams is this kind of player, it's hard to keep both on the court. Mm -hmm. And the numbers kind of said that last season. Same with Noel. Uh, But if you play Dort with shooting centers, why not? I mean, of course, you will if he's a 30% shooter, you will always have the dilemma of having his defense or the spacing. Um, But at least you have the the IQ and the ability to be more than just a a standstill guy.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's no doubt, and, and then we get to the the next two. It's Hamidou Diallo and Terrence Ferguson, and I, just because of the uncertainty of exactly why Ferguson has been the player he's been over the last year and the time he's missed, and can he get back to being a three and D player that we've seen flashes of? Can he ever be that? I I don't know, and his inability to put the ball on the floor too is another thing. Where Hami. I am not great at it. I would never claim that Hami's a guy that I want to put the ball on the floor, but he can at times do that. And so Hami's a guy that just clearly cannot shoot it. You know, he's 20% yeah. from three on 0.9 attempts per game. Again, I mentioned Nader earlier about the, the bar isn't very high to clear, to be to being a player that takes that spot. Well, Nader took that from him, <laughs> you know, this year. Yeah. And I, yeah. He, pretty, pretty clearly. Yeah. And his his shooting is really it for me. Because if he could shoot it, even at like a 31% from three, if he could hit 70% of his free throws, you know, like that's okay. Uh, because he does en- enough other things where he just makes stuff happen, where he, he can, obviously, his athleticism is through the roof. And he's a guy that can play in transition and he can play power forward some uh, just because he is pretty physical on the court. Uh, But it's unclear really what what he's going to be as an NBA player and who he is and how he's going to develop and and things like that. And he is erratic. He did play really well at the beginning of this season. I would say that he had a great start to the season. Then he got hurt and then got off track. And so what happens with Hami if he doesn't get hurt? If he just kind of keeps that going? Was that just a blip at the beginning of the season? Or was that a trajectory that he was on and then he got hurt and now he's going to have to try to get back on that next season? I don't know. Uh, I'm not saying I would... I am I wouldn't give up on Hamadou Diallo. I think that he's a guy that is still very young. He's 21 years old. Um, and he was productive when he played. You know, there's... You know Terrence Ferguson and even Darius Baisley, um, you know, only four points per game in the minutes that they played. You know Hami came in, and in the 18 minutes that he played, scored six points a game. It's not like that, whoa, six points a game, but still, he was productive every time he was out on the court, and it was sometimes negative, where he's just making every wrong choice. He's jumping the wrong way on everything, uh, but then there were games where it's, he was extremely helpful. To them, And, you know, was able to score and rebound and play in transition and get steals. And so I think there's still something in there. And a lot of it lies within athleticism, as we know, the slam dunk champion. Uh, But it's it's hard to know if he's going to be able to put it together because it's it's you can be a crazy athlete. Yeah. But are you going to be able to put it together on the court and be a role player? Uh, It's it's harder to see that for me.
1: Yeah, and I think that part of the thing that he uh, didn't do in the second part of the season after he came back was being more careful with the ball. He was reckless with it. And at the beginning of the season, he was doing the right things. Uh, maybe because training camp was closer and the plan was like better in his mind. Uh, but it seemed to me that he really lost the... Uh, the composure on the court. It was doing too much. Um, I think that if I if I had to choose today uh, between Hami and Ferg, I would be extremely torn because, as you as you perfectly said, um, on one hand you risk not to having a player if you choose Ferg. Ferg could be stuck in wherever he is right now. Yeah. Um, but if you if you have like if you can get him back where he was he's a useful player with Hami you you risk not to have anything not because of where he's stuck in terms of uh, mental issues or whatever or life issues or but because he's not a player that is suited for the modern NBA today but there are there is a track record of elite athlete that after a few years even like a lot of years uh they somehow find, find ways to be useful in the league, so it's it's a hard it's a hard choice. I I probably would try to retain them both because mm-hmm. I mean if you ha- if you want to have a bad season uh, in 2021, which I think is in the plan, and you want to to have a young team that will play hard, that will uh, maybe make some dunk and, and, and do crazy stuff on the court without any kind of pressure then they both make sense. Um, what is the right contract for them? Uh, I have no idea. Um, surely, like, probably Ferg will command a little bit more. Um, but I would try to... to. I would put them at the same level as of today, uh, clearly below the other three. And Presti should try to make magic and let them sign for the minimum or... Like a little bit more than that, mm-hmm. uh, it it will be extremely hard for Ferguson. Uh, probably he will be closer to the taxpayer M and E or whatever three millions. It's still fine. I mean, it's it's not that you cannot trade three millions uh, unless the uh, the the cap will go down in a crazy way.
0: Hmm. Yeah, it's you know these are these are fringe NBA guys that we're talking about at this yeah. point, and to me as far as potential goes, Ferg's, Ferg has more, but I just yep. don't, I just don't trust it as much <laughs> as I do with, I know, which is fine. There's stability. There's more stability too. within Hamadou Diallo and, um, Ferg could completely change my mind in, you know, two weeks of play. But, um, yeah, I think it's, it's interesting. Uh, thanks for coming on the show, McKellie. We appreciate you and all your contributions to down to dunk. It's, um, really been helpful to get us through this time. And so we hope that you are are well and that your, your work goes well. Um, we're thankful for you. Uh, we hope that you guys have a great day. Hang in there wherever you are. Yeah. Um, let us know if there's anything else that you would like us to talk about during this time. We've got the time. We've got the ability to not talk about the news cycle because there's not a lot there. So if there's something you want to hear, let us know. I hope you guys have a wonderful day and we will talk to you guys again on Wednesday.